Hey, good morning, everybody. It's great to see all of you here this morning. Glad you made it out through the snow. But I also have to give a shout out to everyone watching online today. I'm glad that you can join us that way from a distance. And I'm excited to jump back into God's kingdom story this morning. Uh, Just like the last two weeks, we've got a lot of great stuff to cover today. And so let's stay focused. Uh, Let's not get distracted thinking about what we're going to have for lunch later, thinking about the snowman you're going to build, thinking about the big football game. I do have to say go Bengals, though. Uh, In all seriousness, though, I realize that it can be tough to stay focused when you read the Bible. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because the Bible is amazing. This book tells the greatest and and most important story in the world. It's about the all-powerful, eternal king of the universe, our great God. Nothing boring about him. And the story is also true. And God invites us to be a part of it. He invites us to become citizens in his kingdom through a relationship with Jesus. He invites us to play a significant role in his kingdom, starting now and going all the way through eternity. It's awesome. So let's dive in this morning. And we'll start with a quick review. Throughout this big series, we're using 16 different images that help us know where we are and where we've been. So looking back at the beginning of this series two weeks ago, we we started with this image. And do you remember what we talked about that week? We, We talked about the most high God. And we tried to do the impossible. We tried to understand this God who is beyond our understanding. And try as we might, we just can't grasp his greatness. Then last week, remember what we talked about? This one's kind of easy to remember You look at that picture, and you remember we talked about what? Creation. We we looked at the Bible's account of the beginning of the universe, and, and we were awed by God last week, too. So up to this point, this has been a powerful story, and today's story is also powerful, but we're about to see things take a bad turn. I'll show you the picture for this week. Who do we see in this image? It's Adam and Eve. First man, first woman. And the the title of today's sermon is The Fall. Some of you know exactly what I mean when I say The Fall. Some of you may not know, and that's okay. I'm praying that all of us will have a better understanding of The Fall by the time we're done today. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and open up to the book of Genesis. And as we read through the story of Adam and Eve this morning... We need to answer two compelling questions. Number one, what is wrong with humanity? What's wrong with us? When you look at the human race, it goes without saying that something is broken. And that brokenness is not just in other people. It's in you and me as well. And when we're done dealing with this question, we need to have some hope. We need to see what's the solution. And I don't want to give away the ending, but... There is a solution, and it's very, very good. And it's what keeps this story from being a tragedy. Now, we laid some important groundwork last week. Uh, We started with the very first verse in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
And that one sentence says an awful lot, but we're keeping it simple here. We made a list of three primary truths that we get from Genesis chapter 1. And the first truth is right here from this verse. God created our universe. We're not here by chance. The world did not just appear spontaneously. We're here because God created us. He wanted us to exist, so here we are. Our second truth comes from Genesis 1.31. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. This is a theme that you see throughout Genesis chapter 1. Uh, throughout the days of creation, God repeatedly looks at what he just made, and he saw that it was all good, which is different than what we see today, right? It's not all good. There is a lot of suffering and pain. There's war sickness, death. That's what we see today. But in the beginning, it was all good. And that goodness extended to people as well. This is our third primary truth. God's creation was good and all human beings were created in God's image. In the very early days of humanity, evil was non-existent. Among people, and, and this is why God created us in his image. We were a reflection of him. So Genesis 1.27 says this, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God put something of himself inside each one of us, and that's where our value comes from. Every human being is significant, whether you're old or young, whether you're born or unborn. We're not just a, a collection of matter. We're not mere animals. In some small way, every human being reflect, reflects the glory of the king of the universe. So this is our foundation. God created the universe. God's creation was good. And all human beings were created in God's image. And all of these truths come from here in Genesis chapter 1. And I'm willing to die on these three hills. These things are true. Like I said last week, the book of Genesis uh, often brings up some complicated questions, and it's great to work through those questions. But again, that's beyond the scope of this sermon. I said more about this last Sunday, if you'd like to go back and listen. Uh, but for the moment, I'll just say this. Plum Creek, here, we, we believe that the Bible is true. It's reliable. This is literally the Word of God. Now, of course, there are times when people misinterpret the Bible. There are also times when scientists misinterpret what we observe in nature. We, we all need to be humble and teachable because nobody has everything figured out. But at the end of the day, we can trust that God has told us what we need to know right here in His Word. And that it's true. So every week during this series, we're taking the same approach. We're going to read God's kingdom story from the Bible, and we'll just let the Bible say what it says. So with that, go with me to Genesis chapter 2. Now we just read that God created mankind in his image. But here in Genesis 2 verse 7, we get a little more detail. This verse says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. 
Now, this is one of those times when we're limited by human understanding and by human perspective. I want to try something. When you read this verse, what image comes into your mind? What, what, how do you picture this scene? What does God look like? For a lot of us, I'm, I'm guessing we think of that, that picture of God that looks a lot like Michelangelo's painting in the Sistine Chapel ceiling. So this is that classic version where God has, he's got gray hair, he's got the long beard, uh, he's getting a little older, but you still don't want to mess with him. He is super buff. So here in this, in this image, this is the creation story, and God is reaching out to bring Adam to life. Now, the reality, what really happened? Do you think it looked anything like this? I think the reality is Michelangelo was just like all of us. I mean, he had no idea what God really looks like, and we don't either. And whatever mental image we have, it's far inferior to the truth. On the other hand, though, I do believe that Genesis 2, 7 actually happened. God formed Adam from the dust of the ground. Now, the, the word here, dust, that, that's translated from a Hebrew word that can also mean earth or clay. And I got to thinking about this the other day. Why is it fun to make something out of clay or to make something out of Play-Doh? Well, I believe it's fun precisely because we're made in God's image. He's the great creator, so we like to be little creators. Uh, as my kids have grown up, it's been fun to go back to some of the toys that I haven't played with since my childhood. And I've especially enjoyed getting back into Play-Doh. Now, I know this is a little random, but a couple years ago, I made a, a sculpture of Teddy Roosevelt. And I have a picture that I can show you here. Uh, this is how Teddy Roosevelt turned out. I was pretty happy with that. So I started uh, trying some other historical figures. And, and just for fun, I'll, I'll show you a couple of these. And you, you can see if you can guess who they are. So let's bring the second one up. Who is that right there? That's Gandhi. Good job. Yeah. Uh, here's another one. Any ideas? I actually don't know exactly who, what she looked like, but you're right. That's supposed to be Cleopatra. And then one more. This one might be a little tougher. Anybody know? This is another U.S. president. He, he's actually a hometown boy, born and raised in Cincinnati, William Howard Taft. Now you know what he looks like right there. Well, I know this may seem like a, a little bit of a tangent, but, but not really, because I, I do think we like to create because we're made in God's image. But there's a big difference between us and God, right? Our creative ability comes with some major limitations. I can't bring my little Plato people to life. Only God can do that. We, we talked about this last week. And this is exactly what God did in Genesis 2-7. He took earth or dust or clay and he formed a man and he brought that man to life. So now that Adam was here, what did God do? Well, look at verse 15. It says that uh, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. 
And I really appreciate this detail here because God did not leave Adam to just sit around in the garden. He gave Adam meaningful work to do. So that tells us work was not a punishment. It's a good thing. Remember, this is still in that perfect state before the fall. And Adam has a really nice setup here. He lives in a beautiful garden. He's got a great job. And best of all, he gets to hang out with God all the time. If Adam is smart, he won't mess this thing up. Unfortunately, you probably know, Adam messes this thing up. First, God gives Adam just one rule to follow. Verse 16, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but... You must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, this is way before the Ten Commandments. At this point, there's only one commandment. Don't eat that fruit from that tree. That's it. And you would think that Adam can handle this, right? I mean, he's surrounded by delicious fruits and vegetables. It's literally paradise so he could follow one rule couldn't he well hold that thought because our story takes another turn here Uh, in verse 18 the lord god said it is not good for the man to be alone i will make a helper suitable for him so you know who's about to arrive right we're about to meet a pretty girl named eve And some people look at this verse and and they have trouble with it. They see that word helper about Eve and and they think that might be a little demeaning to women. And let me tell you, it's not demeaning at all. Uh, Throughout the Bible, God himself is described as a helper. Same word. So it's not demeaning. This is a very important role. And just speaking for myself... Uh, I can remember back when I was single, and I definitely needed help. Uh, When I was 21 years old, I I got my own apartment for the first time. And I'll be the first to admit, I did not do a great job of managing my home. Uh, For example, one time, I bought a bag of potatoes. I had every intention of eating those potatoes, but uh, unfortunately, uh, I put them in a wooden cabinet, and I forgot about them. For months. Down the road, when I finally opened that wooden cabinet again, uh, I'll, I'll show you what I found. Got a picture here. Had a, a nice garden growing. It, it's kind of impressive in a way, but it's also sad. Now, these days, Hannah takes good care of me. This kind of stuff doesn't happen anymore. And the truth is, we take care of each other. Uh, I am so grateful for our marriage and for our relationship. But as a side note, if you happen to be single, don't look at this verse and and think that you aren't complete unless you have a spouse. Uh, I was single for 10 years after college. And from the perspective of God's kingdom, singleness and marriage are gifts that can be leveraged for God. So, There are advantages and disadvantages either way. But having said all that, Adam was a lonely guy and he needed some help. But down in verse 20, 
we see that for Adam, uh, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. Now there is some strange and fascinating stuff here, and we could talk about this for a while, but but we need to keep moving. The point is, Adam now has someone to share life with. And right here, life is good. How good was it? Well, check out verse uh, 25. It says, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. And uh, there's something very cool about this. This past Monday at Perspectives, the speaker was talking about this verse, and he said, Think about children. Think about kids when they're very small. At that point, a a little boy or a girl, they're not ashamed to be naked. My brother is a perfect example of this. Um, One year on Halloween, when my brother was about four years old, uh, we were getting ready to go out trick-or-treating. And when it came time to leave, we couldn't find my brother. And we looked around the house He wasn't there. We finally started looking outside, and it wasn't too long before we found him. Two houses down from us. He started trick-or-treating early, buck naked. (laughs) I have no idea why he did that to this day. Um, But it's an example of what we see in this verse. He was naked and felt no shame. And why was that true of him? Why was it true of Adam and Eve? was because they were in a state of complete purity. Pure thoughts, pure actions. They had a pure relationship with each other. They had a pure relationship with God. And if you go back uh, to the word Eden, the the Hebrew word Eden, it means delight. It, It really was a beautiful existence. But that perfect picture is about to be destroyed, we've reached another truth from the book of Genesis, and it's a sad one. God created our universe. His creation was good originally. He created uh, people in his image. And then one day, God's good creation was broken. Look at Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Right here, for the first time in Scripture, we're introduced to the devil. Satan takes the form of a serpent. And we need to be clear about something here. The devil is not some fairy tale. Jesus told us that the devil is real. And so here in Genesis 3, the devil comes to Eve And he's seeking to steal, kill, destroy. And today, that's what he wants to do with you. He wants to wreck your life. He wants you to be separated from God forever. The Bible describes Satan as a deceiver. He lies. He distorts the truth. He asks questions like the one we just read. Come on, did God really say that? I'm sure it's not that big a deal. 
the devil gets in your head and he tries to convince you to question God. So how does Eve respond to the serpent? Well, she says, oh, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. And then the devil does what he loves to do. He lies, deceives, he distorts the truth. He says, you will not certainly die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So what's what's the devil saying here? Two things. First, he says, forget about the consequences. You'll get away with it. And then number two, he says, think about what you have to gain here. See, God's holding out on you. He, He just doesn't want you to know what he knows. Now, this is crucial. The the devil wants Eve to question God's goodness. Stop trusting that he is a good God and has her best interests in mind. Remember that. And then here's what happens next. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Just like that, the deed was done. One rule was one rule too many. Adam and Eve broke God's law. They sinned against him, and the consequences of their sin went far beyond anything they could have dreamed. In an instant, the whole world was changed. And before we look at those consequences, let's think about what just happened. We just found the answer to our first big question. What's wrong with humanity? It's simple. The problem is sin. And what is sin? Well, we could look at a lot of definitions, but here's the bottom line. Sin is breaking God's law. But now think about it. Why in the world would we do that? Why would we knowingly defy the most high God, the one who is so, so far above us? Well, it's what we saw in Eve. It's a trust issue. We're tempted to break God's law when we trust ourselves more than him. So what what does that mean? What does it look like to trust yourself more than God? I'll give you a couple examples. You might say, God, I know what you said in your word, but these days, your word seems outdated. We know better now. That's when we trust in ourselves more than him. Or uh, maybe you say, I'm sorry, God, but this time I'm choosing what I want over what you want because I think what I want is actually better. We see this all the time, don't we? And not just in other people, we see this tendency in ourselves. So let's be honest here. Think about this in your own life. When are you tempted to choose your truth over God's truth? When are you tempted to trust in yourself, your own ideas, your own agenda, instead of God? 
I encourage you this week to take some time and, and pray about this. Ask yourself, do I really trust God? Even when it's scary, even when it's unpopular, even when my desire is leading me in the opposite direction? Here's the reality. If God gave out grades for trusting him, none of us would get an A. We've all failed again and again. And we do so much damage by failing to trust God. Look at Adam and Eve. You remember what God said? He said, if you touch that fruit, you will die. So what happens next? We'll look at Genesis 3, 7. After Adam and Eve ate the fruit, the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Okay, hold on a second. Remember what God said. God said they would die. But right here, it seems like Adam and Eve are just a little embarrassed. So what's up with that? Why did they not die on the spot when they sinned? Well, here's, here's what's going on. When Adam and Eve sinned, no, they did not die instantly. But in that very moment, they began the process of dying. In the coming days and the coming years, they would experience what we all experience, the aging process. Sooner or later, in one way or another, our physical bodies just wear out and everybody dies. And it all started with that first sin. So God has to confront Adam and Eve. He goes to them and he says, what have you done? You have brought a curse on yourselves. Their time in the Garden of Eden was over. They were expelled. They were separated from God's presence. And from this point on, they, they would deal with toil and suffering and, yes, death. And some of us might see this and, and feel like, wow, that punishment was excessive. But two weeks ago, we talked about the two sides of God's character. You remember that? On the one hand, God is love. He is love. His love is greater than anything we can imagine. But on the other side, God is holy and he is just. And because of his justice, sin cannot go unpunished. He wouldn't be good if he allowed that. So Adam and Eve brought God's judgment and punishment down on themselves. When they sinned, the consequences were devastating. When we sin, the consequences are also devastating. Every single day, we see the brokenness that comes from sin in this world. We see it in the news. You see it in your family. You see it in yourself. It shows up in many different forms. Conflict, stress, anxiety, depression, addiction, betrayal, grief. All these things, it's brokenness that we have to face every day of our lives. And in some cases, we did nothing to cause our pain. Uh, maybe uh, someone else sinned and, and that's what hurt you. 
In some cases, our pain just, it comes because we live in a broken and fallen world. But we have to be honest, though. Uh, the hard truth is that you and I have caused at least some of the pain in this world. We've contributed to the brokenness through our own sin. And it's such a sad thing. Our world is still under the curse of sin. People are suffering. People are dying. But did it really have to be this way? Through the years, I've gotten some interesting questions about this. For example, why did God create that one problem tree? Why didn't he just leave it out of the garden? It would have been so much easier, right? I mean, we could all be living in the Garden of Eden with God, having a great time. Why didn't he just make it easier on all of us? Leave that tree out. Well, what did we say a minute ago? God is what? God is love. And love requires a relationship. And a relationship requires free will. If we don't have free will, it's not really love, is it? For instance, I don't want my wife to love me because God programmed her to love me. I want my wife to look out over 4 billion men in the world and say, that's the one. I, I want that guy who's a little nerdy, a little uncoordinated. He's mine. You know, if, uh, if she didn't have a choice, her love would not be meaningful. So in order for us to choose God, there had to be an alternative, right? There had to be another option like a forbidden fruit. There, there had to be something that, that gave us the chance to say, God, I love you more than this thing that is competing for my devotion. But ever since Adam and Eve, mankind has struggled with this. At one point or another, we've all chosen to trust in ourselves over him. We've chosen to break God's laws and God's standard. And just like Adam and Eve, that put us in line for punishment. Just like Adam and Eve, we brought the death penalty onto ourselves. And without God's love, his great love, that would have been the end of the story. Because God could annihilate our universe and go make another one but he didn't do that God's love for us was too strong and he worked out a plan where he could show his love restore our relationship with him despite our sin let's go back to Genesis 3 immediately after God confronts Adam and Eve he turns directly to the serpent I want to read Genesis 3.15 and listen closely because this verse is extremely important. Let's read it. God said to the serpent, I will put enmity or hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Right here, this is the first time Jesus shows up in the Bible. It's also the first prophecy in the Bible. According to this prophecy, somewhere down the line, one of Eve's descendants, one of her offspring, will crush the serpent's head. That offspring is Jesus Christ. And God here, he says to the serpent, 
Yes, there will be a time when you strike at his, te- strike at his heel. And, and yes, you will do some limited damage. And that damage was done, of course, at the crucifixion. Jesus suffered and he died on the cross. And Satan thought he had won. But in reality, the opposite was true. The death of Jesus was not a defeat. It was a victory. When when he died on the cross, when he sacrificed his life, he paid the penalty that we deserve to pay, that death penalty that we brought on ourselves. And then when he rose from the dead, Jesus crushed the serpent's head. He proved that Satan never had any power over him anyway. So it's amazing, isn't it? Way back in Genesis 3, God knew what had to be done. The curse of sin would not be removed without great sacrifice. So God put this plan into motion. Jesus would enter the world. Jesus would purchase our pardon on the cross and make it possible for us to have a restored relationship with God. There's a theme that we see throughout God's kingdom story again and again. It's true that God's good creation was broken, but that wasn't the end of it. God is in the business of restoring what's broken. I've been in ministry long enough to know that all of us walked in here with some kind of brokenness today. You may be carrying some regrets right now, wishing you had done some things differently. You may have some stress or anxiety. You may be weighed down with grief, but I want to encourage you, whatever it is that feels heavy in your life right now or overwhelming, it's not too big for God. He can take care of it. He can remove it. He's much bigger than any problem we face. Nothing is intimidating to him. He's the most high God. There's hope in our brokenness. We see that in 1 Corinthians 15. The apostle Paul is writing here and he says, So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, that would be Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, Jesus Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. All pain, all suffering, all death, it goes back to that first sin. Adam and Eve started it, and then we followed their bad example. This is humanity's problem. Our problem is sin. But God provided a solution. The solution is Jesus And when you give your life to Jesus, you find forgiveness and hope and new life. And yeah, things can still be very hard, but that new life eventually overcomes everything that's difficult in this world. If you are someone who has experienced that new life, take some time this week and just thank God for what he's done. And take the opportunity to go back to God and surrender to him again and say, God, I trust you. I'm going to trust you over me and my thoughts, my ideas, my agendas, my desires. I will do what you tell me to do. I will be who you want me to be. 
Now, if uh, you're someone who hasn't found that new life in Jesus, if you haven't put your trust in him, you can begin that life-changing relationship today. Jesus will restore what is broken in your life. He turns graves into gardens. And I hope you'll let him work in your life today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much that the, the story we're seeing here, it's not a tragedy in the end as long as we turn to you and accept the, the gift that you offer us, the gift of salvation and forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus. So Lord, I, I pray that not only will we accept that gift, but that we will spend every day of our lives being grateful to the core of our being and spend every day of our lives responding with love and worship, thanking you for what you've done. And I pray that we'll help other people find this new life. As a church, Lord, help us to do that. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.